Ah, hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode 168, I was very privileged to have Gino Payne on the podcast. He is a director, producer, a cinematographer, and he's had over 10 years in the game of film and production. I've got to say it was a very good conversation, very interesting conversation, actually. Uh, we talked about uh, his time uh, at college, what sort of motivated him to get into the film and music movie production game. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, his time uh, with his music uh, video business and yeah, how he almost messed up quite badly at one point. But still, we also talked about how he got involved with uh, Game of Thrones, uh, The Walking Dead, and yeah, basically a number of interesting TV shows. And yeah, we talked about other things as well. Uh, he was a joy to speak to him and yeah, I look forward to more sort of in-depth conversations. Maybe we can help resolve and help the world in a better way. But we shall see. So please uh, subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Enjoy the show and yeah, have a fantastic day. Very well. Peace. Haha. <laughs> Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on the podcast, I am very privileged to have woo, Gino Payne. He is haha, a director, producer, a cinema, uh, cinematographer with over 10 years in the game, where he's picked up an award or two in his lifetime. Gino, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It feels great to be here with you, and I love your energy. It's hey, great. what can I say? Uh, copious amounts of chocolate, fizzy drinks, and God knows what else keeping me going. Uh, <laughs> yes, this man has had fish and chips twice, and he's liked it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Do you know I don't know why that makes me laugh so hard, because... Yeah, the first time I had it, I was like, why, why, this is, why is this like the thing to do, you know, and then the second time I was like, can we go back to that other place again, you know, it was, it was good, it was good, but the second time, like I said, I went to the hood, you know, it was good, it was, it was where the good food was. Yep, and like the place he refers to as the hood is Southwark, which is in South London, and you're very right, it's just the hood, yeah, anything south of the river. Hmm. <laughs> Pick up on some of that bias there. I don't care. <laughs> now, I have to ask, like, you know, many moons ago, back when you were in Savannah College of Art and Design, how, like, what did you think would your career project trajectory would be from there? I mean, I think I was, I was, I, I if I'm thinking back, I remember being quite unsure as to how this all would work out mm. because I remember thinking like, wait a second. So then I graduate and then, cause at the time I had a lot of local clients, I was creating music videos and, 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 and doing like local, you know, event videography and stuff like that. And creating like mini docuseries and stuff, just, just creating content. Um, uh, but I was thinking like, well, at least I will, you know, have better relationships. Uh, you know, I know some of this high-end equipment and um, I, I'd be able to get hired uh, it, to work for a studio at some point. 
Um, but yeah, I, I was very confused as to how it all worked and how it would all play out. I, I, I dreamed of graduating and just going right into working for a studio, but that's just not how that played out. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I didn't really have this grandiose vision of sort of going right into Hollywood. I, yeah. I kind of was always of the mindset that I was going to be able to uh, just kind of continue what I was already doing. Yeah, because like it's one of those things where I don't know, I don't know if things are different with yourself. Like when you like sort of like, okay, I want to go to college, I want to do film school, mm. um, but there isn't one sort of clear path because it's like one of those things where you kind of look at it and go, okay, go to school, make things happen that way. But you can also get into it just, you know, what I mean, hard work and graft, get like get into the industry. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm still here. Sorry. No worries. But yeah, why did you choose school over like you know what I mean just feet first in? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I, I jumped in. Um. You know, right away. I mean, I I was creating content before I was actually even in, in school. I just I thought that you know um. You know, my goal was to was ultimately to uh, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, you know, I, I want to be Robin. Um, you know, everybody wants to be Batman. Um, and so in in that sense, I was like, well, what are I want to check every single box. Mm-hmm. And so the type of person I am, is like I if I get into something, I go crazy and I go I, I push it to that limit to where where anything that you do if you do it at such a at a high enough level it's going to become difficult it's going to become hard it's going to be a point where you know it, it gets it gets uh draining and mm. so i thought the same thing with film was like let me learn everything i want to know the beginning the why the how the underlining issue and all of the the history and the details that go into why we do things the way we do them and that way i can know and feel comfortable breaking those rules and so school was definitely something that I wanted to do. Um, I later learned that like, and my grandma used to say this to me because I'm from Georgia, right? So my grandma used to say like, um, you know, there's a the man who read the book and then there's the man who wrote the book. Mm. Um, and so you you got to remember that the guy who wrote the book, there's probably something he didn't put in there. Um, and he's probably writing another book at some point. So um so I always put more value in getting out there, getting experience, uh, knowledge, training and experience together is great. But look, you can get knowledge, you can get training and you can get experience from being in the field. Mm. Um, so you don't have to sit in the classroom because most of the stuff you learn in the classroom, it's just sort of underlining issues. The film industry and most industries are moving so fast in this technological age that most of what you learn it's more of a reference point. It's not the equipment that you're going to be touching. It's not the way you're going to be doing things um, when you actually get out there, especially at your entry level that you're going to start at. Mm. No, I understand that. Like, because like, this is the thing, like with regards to the sort of march of technology and everything like this, like 10 years ago, <laughs> what like the, like in comparison to what is out there and what you can do, today mm-hmm. on like, okay maybe you like 10 years ago you had to spend 100 grand to like get something done now 
you can do it for maybe 10, maybe even less than that. If it like, depending on what type of production you want to do. Now, do you think like, if you had to do it again today, would you go back to school or would you like take a different path? Do you reckon with the advances? Yeah, I, I would still go to school because some of the, the biggest benefits that I got from school wasn't the things I learned about um, my craft. It was the relationships that I built. Um, it was the understanding of the different types of cultures and people that are, you know, endeavoring in the same place that I am. It was the sense of group belonging to, like, so again, I think that goes back to the relationships. Um, and, and, and also there are times when the technology doesn't work, you know, uh, there are moments when the technology stops and, and, and then we have to say, okay, well, well, how, how else can we do this? And then yeah. we go back to the old film days and we go back to the old lighting days, the old lighting techniques and, and these more practical approaches. So it's just a whole nother layer that you, if you hadn't done the school route, um, you wouldn't be able to reference this knowledge, this information in order to solve for yes. Um, and then obviously the network to me is just the over overwhelming uh, resource that you get from school. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I hear that because yeah, networking is half the battle, and you'll be a little mm-hmm. about what comes out of that sort of network. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I think I think like I was telling my pal, I was like, look, the education that you get at University of Southern California, or the education that you get at you know at the U- University of Georgia, is is not that different from the education that you're going to get at like Harvard, Princeton, or Cambridge, or something like that. Yeah, it's not it's not that different. What's different is the people that's sitting next to you in class, the mm. people that are teaching you, uh, the groups of the people that you're going to be alumni with when you leave, when you walk into an office, uh, and 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 you and I, we have a reason to believe that we are connected and we're similar. We like the same things because we went to the same school, whether we like the same things or not, whether we think the same way or not. You know, we went to the same school. You sat in next to my son, my cousin. You know, these are the people who who were controlling the world who sit in those classrooms. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I think I forget who it was. Somebody was talking about their class, like just there's a normal class that they sat in. You know, it was like Bill Clinton and like Kim Jong-un and like somebody else. And like the teacher was another person. And they were like, this was my class, you know? And so like, <laughs> I could like reach out and touch any of these people at the time. Um, it was something crazy like that. But um, I think the, the, the network of the school is the biggest benefit because the education, I mean, if the teacher is relatively decent, I mean, you can, you can only teach what there is, you know? No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> like, yes, I just see in a class with Clinton, Kim Jong-un. And it's like, I'm, yeah, it's like, I'm, yeah. It's like, yeah, if you're not running a country or a Fortune 500 company, you are lacking. I was the richest man in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, exactly. So, like, this is the thing. Like, I have to ask. So, what, like, what film did you knock out in your film school? as like the sort of your most proud work, would you say? Um, there's a film called A Beautiful Thing. 
when I was in film school, is if we're talking about during my film school time, mm. um, the film called A Beautiful Thing. Um, I could uh, share that with you so that you could share that as well. But um, A Beautiful Thing is a story um, that we kind of just conjured up uh, in film school. Uh, we had to create a, a script um, and uh, it had to include a group that would classify as a um, underserved uh, group. Mm. So we chose the ADA um, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a story about a death girl and a love journey. And uh, we were super proud about how that turned out. It did very well. And um, it was kind of sort of that first layer of saying like, wow, like, like my ideas do work. Mm. Like, cause at first you don't really, you shoot a lot of music videos and a lot of weddings and a lot of things that just kind of happen in front of the camera. You just make them look pretty. Um, but then, um, but then you kind of have to say, say, this is what's going to happen. This is how he's going to respond. She's going to do this. This is going to happen. And then it works out. And there's that sense of like comfort, uh, confidence that you build. Mm. So with this, like, how did you like after doing that and you like basically doing film school everything's cool you're smiling like going, yes one day me and spielberg will sit down and uh, we'll we'll share we'll show cocktails and drinks and have a good time like how did you sort of get your feet wet in the sort of like real world of filmmaking and what was your first job um so like the real world filmmaking so there's two different worlds of filmmaking the independent world and then the um the studio the mm. big studio projects um and almost right away i was involved in the independent world at a, in a major way because there's an artist uh named pastor troy yeah and he um i went to like a, hur a hurricane katrina relief effort oh. um and i showed up and we were just sort of shooting they uh someone said that they were like having all these artists come out and perform to raise money for hurricane katrina uh uh they were a lot of like it, there were a couple a-listers and then there were some like b-list artists but a bunch of c and so we were like well we can bring our cameras out shoot it and make sure everyone's got content because at that time content wasn't you know this was like post 2004 so content wasn't that awesome i mean you're not gonna there's not the iphones that we had at the moment is nokia you know, uh, phones and you still had to have like the little side door cameras that yeah. you get out of, uh, <laughs> you know, your local uh, electronics store. So it was it wasn't that easy to get great quality content. So you were like, yeah, let's go out here. Let's provide some content so that everybody has great content if they're going to show up and do these concerts for free and help raise this money. So that was my trying to give to the effort as well. Get there and like Pastor Choi's there. And he, he sees us come in with all these cameras and he's like, hey, man, these whose cameras are these? And I was like, these are my cameras. He was like, those are your cameras. I was like, yeah, yeah, these, these are my cameras. And he was like, um, yo, can you make a movie? And I was like, uh, yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. And uh, and that was sort of, you know, we ended up having Pastor Troy, CeeLo Green, Sierra, a bunch of real uh, actors at the time. Yeah. Uh, and um and uh and then some other actors who had come up through the actual acting ranks um in, in this film it was it was a pretty cool project it, it hit the, uh, hit the map in atlanta pretty pretty big it's definitely not it's definitely not it's definitely one of those films where you say like now in my career i kind of just take it and move it down the chart like hey okay like 
look at these other projects first. <laughs> but at the time, it, it was definitely the thing that moved the meter for me. Uh, I can imagine. Just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to help out with this relief. Just like, yeah, just to give a little bit of filming here. It's like, hey, wow, that's fancy equipment you got there. Can you do a documentary? Yeah. Yeah, that was what it was. So we so we started making a film. Uh, they had like um, no script. Um, there was no script at all for the film. There was just like a here's the bullet point outline. Yeah, it was like this person does this and this person does that. And then um, uh, one moment. Hello, I'm sorry. No problem. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there was like, there was no script, uh, essentially there was, um, a, a bullet point outline, like, yeah. okay, this guy doesn't like this guy. And then he does this and then this happens. And, and then it kept getting added more and more kept being added to it. And it was like, I was like, look, you know, guy's paying great. He's got great notoriety. We got lots of celebrities. We're going to make this film one way or the other. You know, you're right. Yeah, you know what? Like the the thing what trips me out is the way you said there was like, yeah, like just an outline, yeah, bullet points, everything like this. If like they make million dollar feature films just like that, it would seem (laughs) it's like on the regular. You know, it's like going, what? (laughs) It's like, what's the script? Oh, yeah, it's it's over there. Off the show. Yeah. Like what's really happening here? What's what's what what is going on? I think I think at one point when in the editing process, my pals and I had like um a counter on the screen for how many times people would just randomly give each other five, you know, and we were like, because that was sort of the thinking mechanism of a number of the few characters. Yeah. They would just randomly like just give each other five. I mean, it'd be like like five or six handshakes, daps in the middle of like. A, a, a like a three minute conversation it'd be like what is going on <laughs> yeah it was quite funny <laughs> yeah God. that must have been a hell of a challenge just bringing order to that all because look you're like going everyone giving that fives and like yeah to go okay i've got a coherent story at the end of it uh, like and it's your right. first time doing it <laughs> well done yeah. <laughs> I mean, we learned we learned a lot and we grew and um ultimately the audience of the film was excited and happy with the product final product um and again it, it, it took a major step for for us for, yeah. for sure so like this is the thing so did you just continue on in sort of independent cinema like well independent filmmaking for uh, a considerable amount of time before you sort of got your sort of break into like not the sort of more like commercial or I should say the more Hollywood machine uh, type side of things um yeah i mean we did we did a couple things here and there in 2007 2008 we we were still doing independent stuff but by the time 2009 came around i had already had sort of a reputation in atlanta for like here's the guy who you kind of want to talk to if you're doing like independent film Mm. and um there were already just a couple studios there like screen gyms and maybe like one other studio, but there were no major studios in Atlanta like there is now. Now there's like every major studio in the world has a has a location in Atlanta. Yeah. And um 
So uh, by that time, uh, we got, I got a call from a guy said, hey, we're going to do a comic book series um, in, in Georgia. It's going to be funded by uh, the American Movie Classics. Um, and I was like, okay, uh, they make they like they make movies don't they just like air classic movies mm. um it's a channel called american movie classics um and then the guy was like yeah yeah so we had like this big meeting and they said well we're gonna make we're gonna we started making original content because netflix and soon do, do you mind do you mind if i take a moment i'm sorry my irrigation guy just showed up okay. i just need like five minutes no problem. No problem at all. Okay. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh. I'll back up a little bit so you, so you have a good. Yeah. So there's a good editing point. I'll back up a little bit. Um. So, yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, I get a call from some of my pals saying, hey, I got some studio guys that they're interested in um, uh, doing a comic book series. Mm. And I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, AMC, uh, you know, uh, American movie classics. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, well, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get you introduced to the team. And I meet the team and they want to do it's a zombie project. And I'm like, and it's a cartoon and like, oh, no, it was a comic book, but it's going to be real life action, a uh, live action. Long story short is the project is The Walking Dead. And uh, we're shooting um, uh, down in the, in the sticks in Georgia. Mm. And uh, it was just a very, very, very. Uh, big entry into the studio world because i mean they they had a great team the the first season budget wasn't anywhere near where it ended up being but that's how most series are right they start off with a reasonable budget and then the more people watch the more the studio justifies spending money and uh it was just zombies and rick grimes the 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 uk american um Yes, um, uh, adoptive American uh, from the UK. Yeah, exactly. Before, like before this, his biggest part was in Love Actually. That's where most like yeah. people in the UK were like, "Ah, oh, you're the guy. You're yeah. the creepy guy who stalked Sarah uh, <laughs> Knightley." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it 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 drew me for the biggest loop when they were saying like. I was looking at the script and um, we get into uh, sort of our first table reads and I'm sitting, I'm at the very edge of the space and the, uh, and he sits down at the Rick Grimes seat and I'm like looking at Andrew and I'm like, this is, this is the Southern deputy guy. And then he turns on his American accent. And that's just the thing. I'm working on a project right now where it's we're on a delay because we have to try to get these English actors into the States, but we can't because our borders are close <laughs> to you guys for whatever reason. Um, I wonder what um, that reason could be. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know why, but I don't think we are in a position to tell someone we don't want their COVID. Like we're the COVID capital. Um, <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we, you guys are really good at doing our accents. We're not so good at doing your accents um yeah <laughs> well like, look like try like for for just for myself just just for my curiosity ask for a portion of chips with an english accent a, a portion pre- okay okay <laughs> 
I'm having a portion of chips. Oh my terrible, <laughs> terrible. I'm, I, you know, it's like, look, it'll be like me. Look, this is how. Look, I don't do an American accent, but it's like I don't do. Uh, could I borrow a cup of brown sugar? <laughs> it's like <laughs> you see. So uh, I think the problem is because I'm from Georgia, and so the southern accent isn't as off the page for me yeah. as it is for a lot of Americans, but. I think the perception, the overall perception is that like all of our accents are, are Southern accents. Um, whereas I'm sure there's a dialect that we typically go to, or at least it sounds like we go to for English. No, like this is the whole thing. Like the, like the reason why most like Brits will go to a Southern accent is because it's like, yes, they have a little bit more fun with it. It's like, yeah. There's a there's a more of a comic twang. It's like okay, if you're over here in like the UK, like some people like oh yeah, like if it was English, they're like going oh why don't you do it with the Scots and like they'll like have a go with that and like yes and the Scots will have a, like a go with like the English Welsh back forth everything like this. That's the only reason. But yes, they're like the well, the United States of America has many dialects. Some which I can comprehend and some which just, what, what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> that- yeah, so, yeah. So my native accent is one of those. What did you just say? Yeah. 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 So if I were to, if, if you were to, if, if I had to come on the show and, and we'd start talking right away and I was in my accent, you wouldn't understand. You, you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. I think I could. I, okay. Yeah. Well, let's go. Okay. Go for it. All right, so uh, we're going to do the rest of this interview in my native accent. (laughs) Not the rest of it, but some of it. Like, this is the thing. Yes, this is the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like, portion of this. Go for it. Sure. You understand that. That's, that's like, one word, but the rest of it you can't really understand because I can understand the rest of my accent. (laughs) I see. You just speed it up. Okay, yeah. I can understand your accent. I don't know. I'm not too sure people at home would comprehend it, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Most of them know what I'm talking about anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit different in the South, right? It's a lot. You get the super slow accent with, man, I don't, cause my, the slow version of my Southern accent is more of like a TI type of, I don't really, it's like a lazy type of thing, man. I just talk the way, you know, it makes sense to me to, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to communicate straight to you how it is, man. But then, <laughs> But then the other version of that is a very fast, very, very uh, bit off words where everything's bit off at the end of the beginning of it because I'm trying to tell you, but just at the end of it, you know, and, and I don't really say all the words to this. You understand like that, you know, <laughs> whereas like I under, I assume you understand everything I'm saying because I'm not really going to say it and I'm too much in a rush to say the words. <laughs> well, I'll put it this way, yeah. If you had to give testimony, I think you might be in trouble. But that's another story. <laughs> but yeah, so this is the thing. Yeah, like Game of Thrones, and like this is the thing. You have an entrepreneurial streak, and I think it was kind of found when you were doing the music videos for mm-hmm. locally. Was that locally in Georgia, or was that like? further afield yeah locally in georgia uh in all the georgia southern alabama florida areas 
Um, we were shooting. I just kind of got used to working for myself. Then I actually went and uh, to pay for my final years of college, I actually went and joined the police department and um, yeah, and uh, worked for them for a while. And I realized that like, well, I, I never had any plans on staying in the first place, but um, that's when I realized that like, yeah, like that I, I can't do the, like I have to have my flexibility and my freedom to sort of move how I want to. And, you know, even, even now I've been offered several times some pretty decent spots at like some studios and some production companies and some entertainment groups. But I mean, it's just like, it has to be like a king ransom for me to give up my freedom and flexibility. Mm. You know? Yeah. Because like, this is the thing, like, with regards to sort of like when I hear music videos, I kind of put them in the sort of same realm as uh, wedding videos, sort of payment wise. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it's one of those things which is incredibly demanding, and mm-hmm. you never like <laughs> you got like a bridezilla or a superstar or would be superstar uh, losing their mind about the smallest thing, and you are trying to keep them happy as well as like get everything done. So not the easiest working conditions, I would imagine. No, no. I mean, with with the with the wedding stuff, it's exactly what you said. It's like, you know, they 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 give all this time and all this attention and fifty million emails, yeah, um, to you. Uh, and this is when to do this. To talk to this. Don't miss this person. And make sure we get that and do this, that, and the third. Then you get there on the day of, and there's like zero considerations for what you're doing in fact it is like one of the only scenarios in like entertainment world where the photographer is precedent to the videographer um the video the photographer gets more precedent than, than you do mm. um and then and then in there's they go off schedule they're either drunk or nervous out of their mind um uh and that, that that's everybody from the bride to the groom to the family uh there's drama oh i don't want her in any of the video cut her out she you know wait but she she's like a big part of everything we talked about wait wait a second she's in hold on and then it's just crazy and like there no there's no resets there's no retakes it's all live and no one has time for questions whereas music video world is quite another beast where in a music video scenario um it's like you show up to shoot and like my man's gotta like smoke his weed for a little bit you know you gotta you you gotta hang out for an extra two hours the girls, you know, they may be there on time. They may get lost in a locker room with someone you never know. You know, um, it's, it, it, you know, everyone's changing. Uh, my, the, the people got to go shopping the day of, you know, it, 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 and then, you know, as the shady characters start to show up, the funding is always coming from the local, you know, uh, doughboy, you know. I mean, it's always like, man, like... <laughs> I, am I gonna sub, if, like you can't leave your equipment at this spot over here because there's like five cats that you know for sure will take it if you walk away. So you got to leave like one PA sitting next to the equipment. You know that guy may get robbed anyway, but he's the guy who signed up for it. Um, it it's a whole nother game. <laughs> you know what? I think you could actually do a little sort of like mini drama six part just like yeah life and ties of a videographer like in like yeah atlanta just like ah it sounds crazy it sounds yeah i mean it is 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I went, once I shoot this music video, this guy, this rapper, local guy, uh, OJ the Juice Man, and he yeah. had a feature um, by a relatively popular artist named Rashida. And um, I was shooting the models, and one of the models just kept singing the lyrics of the song. And I was like, dude, like, what's with this girl in the back? Like, she just keeps singing the lyrics. Like, you are a dancer, dance to the music. And role playback action. And she starts, as soon as the lines came around, she starts singing the lines again. And then I'm like, all right, cool. Pull, hey, pull her out, pull her out, pull her out. So finally, I pulled her, I pulled this model out. And then OJ, the juice man comes out. His eyes are like big, like super big. He tell, he's like, hi. And he's like, hey, brah, brah. I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, look, um, Rashida said you pulled her out the video and you kicked her out the video. I said, what? Rashida ain't even here yet. He was like, yeah, you just kicked her out. It was the girl. The girl, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. So I didn't even know that the girl I was telling to stop, that's why she was singing the lines the whole time because that was the artist that had the feature on there. But <laughs> <laughs> that was on me. Okay, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I didn't how know. Was, how was your working relationship for the rest of the day with her? <laughs> I told him, I said, look, pretend like you know do whatever you need to do because you know uh you know make like you got at me or whatever you know uh because i get it like that's a big fuck up <laughs> you know <laughs> um yeah oh damn so what would you say was the biggest lesson your biggest takeaway for your time in like doing music videos like you know i mean apart from yeah take your expendable pa with you just in case right. <laughs> yeah um it was, it's a lesson that sort of like comes from the wedding world. And like you said, the videographer world was, was like, just be, just maintain cool and calm, right? Just be mm. cool, uh, maintain calm. And when, when, when the, when the, when it gets chaotic, um, then if you can't see, and I hate to make this comparison because my brother was actually a soldier and he went to war and, um, and I, you know, doing the cop work, I had a few moments where I got crazy. But I hate to compare, uh, you know, uh, apples to giant pumpkins, but um, the cats who survive these crazy encounters are the ones that remain calm and the ones that can keep thinking. Um, because if you you get caught up in the chaos and you start freaking out, mm. your brain stops using the capacity that even the capacity that we're able to use, the ten percent that we're able to use, right? So, um, so, so I just figure like the best way to deal with all these chaotic scenarios is to maintain calm. Like these crazy things are going to happen. You're going to, you're going to, there's going to be a tiny little cable missing. There's going to be a dead battery. There's going to be a late person. There's going to be a document that somebody doesn't want to sign. There's going to be a diva that shows up. Something's going to happen. And it's just like, look, like, let's just make, let's maintain calm. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out what we need to do and let's solve for Yes, you know, um, because the moment you start freaking out, um, then you have just proven it's just like being on a flight, right? Mm. When the, the plane shakes and it goes crazy, everybody look right at the flight attendant. Like, <laughs> you know, because if she's still like walking like it's normal, then we good. You know what I'm saying? But if she if she look concerned, we're <laughs> like, uh-oh, yeah. something ain't right. I mean, that that's just like the plane, the pilot come across and go, Oh, uh, damn, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> you know, 
Uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, I like to say this, uh, make your peace with your maker and good luck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's about it's about keeping that calm and just trying to uh, make sure that you are the person that, uh, and a lot of times I say like experience, 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 cut yeah. your teeth doing those things, cut your teeth doing all those other um, projects that like uh, teaches you Cause a lot of times I tell people all the time, I, I like I'll fix something on set or we'll solve a problem. And I'll say, I'd love to, you know, say that it was a great genius idea by me, but the reality is I just seen this before. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like I would, you would never see this before, but I seen this before, you know? So it's really all it is. Yeah. Like this is the thing when I've spoken to a number of people, which have worked in the sort of film industry, like they sort mm-hmm. of through the whole starting out, uh, realm of things like mm-hmm. yeah a lot of them sort of do the whole sort of wedding like wedding sort of like scene also like, I haven't like you're the first person I've actually spoken to who's done the music video side of things but it seems like all of you guys have to do this sort of baptism of fire with regards to those weddings and like it's one of those things where I think if you haven't done that if you haven't gone through that sort of um like micro hell period because like everyone seems to be in it for about a year and they're like no I'm never ever ever mm-hmm. going back but it's one of those things which like sort of arm them up um giving them them that their armor for whatever sort of film project they do in the future and push them yeah. forward yeah I mean I, I I agree with that I think like if you haven't gone through your boot camp training phase of whatever you do, right? Like whatever your thing is, like I'm sure even with like your setup that you have now with your podcast, you've gone through some interviews and some conversations um, with like lesser equipment, with like uh, a personality that was just like plain old awkward. Um, uh, I mean, you've been, you've had coworkers that just didn't know when to jump in and wouldn't jump in or jumped in and walked over you um i mean just things like if you don't go through the craziness um then how are you going to be prepared for when it when it goes awry and you have to write the ship again you're going to walk away you're going to quit um because you don't really see a way forward um and so i just think that it's important to train harder than you actually play mm. um uh, and just to go ahead and, uh, you know, get through it. And if you don't get through it, um, it's because you didn't love it because love makes us ignore the, the craziness of, of a situation. So if you love it enough, you'll get through that, um, madness, those moments you'll say, you know, this could be better. We can fix this. Mm. Let's not give up. And you keep going. Yeah. What would you say has been one of your, uh, most not I won't say mad times but fun or interesting times like being on set with your crew like a, that was a fun and interesting time oh man uh, so like <laughs> fun times I mean they're all they're all like every crew and every cast and crew sort of has like this magical bond that you only have with that group and you feel like you went away to summer camp with this group and you have these memories in this location under these circumstances where 
it's that belongs only to you and, and them together. So, I mean, a lot, a lot of them are fun, but like the crazy ones, man, we did it, man. We did this film. The director was like a pervert. Um, <laughs> um, he, he was, he was like, he was like an assailant though. Like he was like trying to assault girls during the production. Like we had to like shut that down, kick him, kick the director off the set. So I'll tell you the story. So we are getting ready to film. So Eric Roberts, right? Julia Roberts, little brother or big brother. I'm not sure. He looks right. older. All right. Um, and um, so he's like the cat from Batman. He's like one of the, he's like Falcone from Batman or whatever. Um, and then like he um, so he's there. The actors there. Everyone's ready. And I got the camera set. The light team. They're set. The sound team, they're good to go. Props, wardrobe, everybody's set. I got check off from everybody. I walk up to the director. I'm like, all right, cool, your floor, you know, because uh, I'm I'm the DP. Mm. I give it to the director. The director says, he looks at everybody. And he goes, okay, go. And I go like, what? And, <laughs> and then Eric Roberts look at him. Was like, and I look. I'm looking around. Everybody's like, he's like, you go ahead, go ahead. Whenever you go, just go. And I was like, hey, hey, oh, oh, hold on. I got a problem with the camera. Hang on. Everybody take five. Can we take five? And the director goes, cool. You got a problem? Cool. So everybody leave. And I go up to the director. I'm like, hey, man. Um, so when you get ready to call action, you got to like, you got to say like, you know, lights, you know, sound, sound. And they're going to say sound speeding. You say camera. And the camera guy's going to say camera's rolling. And then, and then you, you know, you know, action, you get welcome to the whole sequence, you know, let's get the slate slate in the person slates and then action, you know, um, he, um, he said, okay, okay, cool. You know? So I let everybody leave because I didn't want to like endure the embarrassment that the director of the project did not even know how to call action. I think a kid knows you got to say action. Well, um, like, it's, it's one of the standard thing. Look, it's one of the, like lights, camera, action. Look, I, look, I, the sounds like the sound part, yeah, no, but it's one of those typical things where like, lights, camera, action. And it's like, like what, like where did and he? That's what makes it so unbelievable. Is is that like, I understand if maybe, because he he had, he had directed a movie before, or at least he showed us something that he directed. And then he said, just go, right? So I was like, okay, cool. But like, if, even if you want to say go, because sometimes when when I'm directing, instead of saying action, yeah, I'll say, I'll say, and action whenever you're ready. Like, I, because I don't want them to like jump. When you say action, people sometimes jump into it, right? Hmm. It's like they got to go right away. Like, like a gun just went off at a race, right? Um, but sometimes I'll say, stick your time in, jump in when you're ready or action when you're ready. So I understand that, but like getting the sequence to get the cameras and the sound and the lights and the sleep mm. going, you know, that ain't an artistic or vibe choice, right? Oh. Um, you got to do that, right? So then, so everybody leaves the room, they come back. Uh, everybody gets loaded in. Everybody, you know, finally the makeup department does their final checks, the lights person power up. You know, he looks back to me because you don't want to roll those cameras and you don't want to roll those microphones until it's time because that creates a data problem. You, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine having a bunch of data that you have to like store and keep, right? And imagine these 10K cameras and 8K cameras and 6K cameras, right? And, and imagine imagine these audio files where you have like 90 files in a day um, 
you have you have 90 files in a day and you have to try to find a sync point for each one of them i mean you have to find sync points you hate i'm sure you you already know what it's like to let <laughs> the file roll for two minutes and then you got to try to find that beginning point it's a nightmare so you don't roll this stuff until the until you get the code the go to roll it the guy everybody loads in the room eric roberts is there and i'm behind the camera i'm like all right cool well, the floor is yours he looks at eric roberts he looks at everybody and he goes okay uh he turns around to me right in front of everybody he goes hey uh what was i supposed to say again Gotta be kidding me, man! Eric Roberts looked back at me and he said, "All right, boss, all right, you got it, you got it, you got it. Go ahead." <laughs> and I just, I just said, "Okay, guys, cameras, we just got it rolling." I mean, that that just to show you sort of like the 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 foundation of what we're dealing with with this production. Like the director just he didn't even know how to get an action sequence going. It was it was crazy. That it no that's no no that's insane no because look um, no 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 look. It, no, like because come on now, I don't look to. Okay, I can understand if they're a runner. Yeah, okay. What like okay? You met you're a runner. Okay, why am I rent to run for? Whatever like this person needs or that person needs, and like yeah, can you can get that wrong quite easily. Like, but everything else, they're like they're like to be on a professional set. Okay, not less if you have rabbits like you rabbits in the headlights type situation everyone has to have a certain level of experience going in not to be like okay what what does the director say <laughs> it's like and you're the director no that you've got to have like done short films long films like a whole heap of things before you get in there before you, you're in charge of everything. Wow. Yeah, what? I mean, and that's something I, I, I've noticed a lot when you're coming up through the system. I, I, I don't really consider myself out of coming up. You know, I'm definitely not where I want to be. Yeah. Um, for sure. For sure. Far away. Um, but when you're really, really in the thick of it, you'll do a lot of ghost directing um, because you will find yourself on set with people who know less than you mm. um, people you'll find yourself you with directors that know less than you. It, once you get to a certain level where you get to these producers and these studio heads and, you know, these areas where um, it's, it's one thing because ultimately they hire you for your artistic choice and your ability to direct. But at a certain level, people are like saying, okay, you're going to be the director. You're the artistic choice for this project. I may know how to direct. I certainly know enough about directing and producing to get this done but mm. you are the director of this project at, at, at the studio level there is a number of people from your dps to your producers to to your other people on the project who know what they're doing um especially as, as it move above sort of the producers and directors um who understands what's going on but and when you're coming up to the system you're being hired by people as a dp who don't know how to direct they just say like I have a vision and, but I don't know how to make it look good in the camera or I don't know how to light it or I don't know how the sound should be, or I don't know work around for any of these things. I haven't even gone through the gauntlet of holding a boom mic or holding the camera or adjusting the iris and setting focus or, or dealing with the slate and editing. I haven't dealt with any of that stuff. 
So, but I, I have the money or the power or whatever it is that I have that's going to give me the ability to hire you to do it, which is fine. Like we, you're here for the job a lot of times. Yeah. So, yeah. But I hear that. But like, surely if that person lacks the experience, like operating the camera or basically being on a movie set or television set or like, just like a, like a video set in any form or way, surely that person should just be the producer rather than the actual sort of director. Like, look, what does a producer do? Make sure everything is there or the actual film itself rather than sort of like going, okay, right. Let me direct this. You don't know how to direct. Well, that's madness. And and that's just it. You know, a lot of times you get in a scenario where a person is just not okay with being a producer. They want to be the person to say, okay, can you tell what just maybe she does it like this? Or or I mean, surprisingly, most people just want to say action. This guy didn't even want to say action, even though action was a thing, apparently. Um, but um I I I've been on sets, I won't say names, I've been on set where the director doesn't even look at the action (laughs) they're not even looking at a monitor they basically scream action from a uh, another location in the on the set Mm. we're at a house filming they scream action from another location and (laughs) and and literally is reading the script and it's like you you're essentially calling action and being the scripty mm. you're literally just following the script if they say everything that was said on the script they're like hey i'm good with it i'm good with it i actually tested it one time everything was so wrong with the scene the way they moved the way yeah. the camera i like like the camera like i was operating camera the camera went out of focus at a bad time and like and i was like i was like you good with that and they were like yeah yeah sound good to me and i was like uh but but I, I think we need to do another one. Like, uh, there was a bad focus moment. This person missed their mark. This person mm. did this, this, that, and the third. And they're like, okay, let me see it. And I'm like, but we almost just moved forward. Like, <laughs> like you, yeah, I mean, it's just some, you, you know, but that's, that's when you're in the FUD. Like, that's when you're down, climbing out of the mud, trying to get yeah. to that point where, where everyone around you is as good as you at what they do. Yeah. I would imagine... I would imagine you can get away with that maybe more if it was like a regular TV show where you've got a crew coming in week after week, if you get what I mean. So they kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. they just need a director there to like, you know what I mean? Go, yeah, action. That's like set up. Like, <laughs> right. like oh, okay, set up a shot here. And like, yeah, most mm-hmm. of the cameraman like yourself and sounding people like, oh, yeah, but like we typically do it this way. And mm-hmm. then, like, the director kind of sits in the chair, looks important for a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much on autopilot compared to a feature film where like, everything is, like, fresh and, like, you've got to keep on, like, changing up on a basis. Yeah, that's true. Um, I imagine a lot of sitcoms where the set is the same set, the lighting scenarios, the blocking, everything's going to be remotely the same every single time uh the, the the director can take a lot off i've directed a few series where you know when we shot primarily in this one location it is a sitcom it happens in a house mm. um once you set your lighting you kind of shoot out the all the scenes from that one scene so if 
if you're shooting a scene that takes place, uh, a film that takes place in a house, uh, block shooting, you light the kitchen the way that you want it. You shoot every single scene in the film, whether it's scene one, scene 22, scene 35, scene 69, scene 94. You mm. shoot all of those scenes that happen in the daytime in the kitchen then. Then you change your lighting slightly bit with the colors and the temperature, and you shoot all the scenes that happens in the night, in the in the evening time in that scene. Scene two, scene 34, scene 55, scene 90, 91. Then you change it a little bit more for nighttime, and you shoot all the scenes that happen in the nighttime in that scene. Then you, then your day is over. If you do that one or two days or three days or a week, then you take your cameras and you move them all to the next to the next room, and you shoot all your scenes for that. Right. So that's block shooting. That's the way that like is most cost friendly for productions. Most productions do shooting that way. Mm. In those situations, you're hundred percent right. Like the director. I mean, like I don't like you don't need like. The, what do you mean the light's wrong? Like the lights, if it's wrong now, it's been wrong for like 22 scenes. Yeah. You know, um, if, if you know, like the camera, especially with these sitcoms where you don't get all this like dynamic motion of the camera, it's basically a lockdown shot. Mm. And, you know, you know, and, and, and there's not a lot of blocking. It's just real corny blocking, you know, it's a sitcom, right? You don't have those issues. But when you're talking about a film, yeah, I mean, you need to have eye. I, I think the director should always have eyes on uh, what's going on. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, a film. Yeah, you, there's no way you can't you can't see what's you don't know, see what's happening, and you're like, good, good take. Let's move on. <laughs> like, oh, uh, uh, you know what? <laughs> it makes me laugh because it irks you so. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I could just yeah. see like, I'm, uh, <laughs> it's like. You're the director. Uh, stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's strange. No, it is strange. It's very strange. But like, this is the thing. Was this like, were sort of things like this, the sort of thing what sort of gave you the impetus to like go, you know what? I can direct my own fe feature films and stuff like this. Was that the sort of like spark? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like I said again. I I've been directing since almost right out of school because with the past Detroit project, um, there's a lot of times when I'm directing, I'm getting funding and not really getting paid. Getting funding for the project on an independent level, you're not really a lot of time getting paid. So a lot of times, uh, I will work with other productions and other teams and get paid by them. So, um, but these sort of uh, interactions are what led me to say, okay, I I will no longer work in those capacities. Mm. Um, only time I take a non-directorial role is with like studio projects. Like I I'm no longer game for the that madness we just finished talking about. Yeah, so I don't I don't really take. I mean, I mean, okay, it's got to be a director that I've watched. I've seen them. I know they know their stuff. We're going to make some amazing stuff. But no longer like, hey, I, this is who I am. This is what I do. And like, if I don't know who you are or know your brand, I know your your studio, hmm. um, I, I, you know, I'm directing or I can refer you to someone. Um, um, yeah, because it's just you get on set and all these talents and all these crew have dedicated their time to learning the script and learning, you know, what they need to get done. And you, um, you see the chaos start to happen and you sort of feel the sense of like responsibility to make sure they didn't waste their time. Um, and so you end up the one that is having sort of the pressure of 
what what the director really should be bearing, you know, mm. um, making sure that they get from this production what they need um, or what they what they at least deserve for giving their time. Um, because even if they're getting paid, it's an independent film. No one's getting paid what they deserve. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and like we're like you mentioned, like yeah, climbing out of the mud. Like okay, mm-hmm. when you like when you sort of ascend and get out, like get out of the mud. What would you like to be doing? Oh man, I I. I just only want to make the films that I am directing, producing. Right. So, uh, I mean, honestly, I want to produce this one series. I really am not even interested in directing it. It's a massive project. Um, it takes place in 950. The story takes place in 950 BC. Um, so uh, in, in Ethiopia, Eritrea territory, it's based on the queen of Sheba. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I see, I see, that's a good story. It's already, um, uh, but um, I want to produce these stories. I have a story that I'm developing now that we're in pre-production on with the UK delays. Um, I am directing, but I'm also producing. Um, I really, I I want to be an independent studio instead of an independent, um, an independent filmmaker, you know, uh, where we create our own uh, stories. Um, and and there there are the stories that we the scripts that we vet the scripts that we buy, um, yeah. Independent studio that is a tricky thing to pull off. The reason why I say it's a tricky thing to pull off because every time I sort of see independent studios, they sort of fall into the trap of doing one sort of genre again and again mm-hmm. and again. Like, would you be like as a independent studio would you be doing one genre or like look you mentioned yeah ethiopia at nine like 905 bc you know what i mean that is like period drama and period dramas are not cheap to say the least they're like 101 like you don't do it you don't do a period drama as an independent production period that's like a rule like we're already like just tuck that rule it was like psh, yeah we're breaking that in half you know yeah um so which is the reason why we which is most likely the reason why we haven't got it done at this point um because uh because i mean you're talking about wardrobe makeup location design accent development of props and everything around it as opposed to do you have a shirt like this in your closet um you know it's very different you know uh, as an independent film you know so um but yeah no i I definitely see ourselves as uh, a time period a fantasy sci-fi uh uh sort of lane yes for sure um and the way it typically the way you typically see it is independent studios we'll like like for example they'll come up with a a project that they want to develop they'll get it through the stages Mm. um we'll have everyone on board that they like and then all of a sudden they will um they will uh talk to a major studio and that studio will be like awesome we love this let us check all your blocks let me make sure that you have the right cast and make sure you have the right uh, the script's good to go and let us troubleshoot this and we'll add more money and we'll package it and we'll we'll make sure that it, it doesn't have an independent presentation um because because we already trust your independent production company to make a good product yeah 
Um, so even the only way that, so like major studios, they, even when they create sort of all the different genres, they're still sort of the umbrella studio for the smaller company that is specializing in that lane. If that makes sense. Just like, just like a hospital will have doctors that have specialties. Well, if those doctors left the hospital, they would have their own practice and they would still specialize in the one lane. But inside the hospital, it appears the hospital is doing everything because they have those specialties inside. It, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. Like basically, mm. like, uh, for example, like with regards to what you've just said to me, like the production company, what jumps into my head immediately is mm. Bad Robot. Because, yes. you see, basically yeah. they had, like when they started out, they were doing sort of small sci-fi things. And then it, like they really sort of landed the plane with doing uh, Lost, the TV show. And then mm-hmm. basically from there, it was like, yeah, sci-fi after sci-fi after sci-fi, uh, like like small stuff. Oh, God, why am I blanking on the name of that film? Uh, you know where New York was attacked by that monster? Uh, Cloverfield. Cloverfield. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Doing Cloverfield. Okay. Yeah. Like sci-fi. One of the things about sci-fi, it's kind of strange because... You can do cheap, like, well, budget-friendly sci-fi, but there are a couple of moments where you've got, you see where all the money goes. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. like Cloverfield, for example, like, yeah, the Cloverfield monster when it comes Mm -hmm. out in the final scene and like the smaller parasites which come out and like Mm -hmm. taking people down. But apart from that, it's just a conventional film just shot with people and... Shaking the camera around and, you know, I mean, it's just like a guy running around like, oh, my God, you know, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, straight Cloverfield world out. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but um, was it 10 Cloverfield Lane? Like how many yep. people were in that? It was, yeah. you know, it was like three actors, one set. Well, yeah, a couple of sets. And that was about it. So like, yeah. You know, it's- yeah, I mean, and and I think the, there's a major studio that's the that's over that's releasing that, but mm. Bad Robot is the production company. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so yeah, it's the same sort of model. So that's what I, that's what I really wanna, what what I really want to be doing. Um, uh, I I enjoy working for the studios. I mm. mean, we, you know, one of my, you know, uh, more recently uh, enjoyable production was Mulan. We worked on Mulan you know with disney and that that team we shot a lot of the uh, the in studio uh, uh composite green screen effects uh in la um i mean that group is awesome you know working on that type of project is just amazing and you shoot it after they already do all their you know on location stuff yeah uh, around the globe and then they come in and they kind of already have a vision for we've already seen the templates and the plates that we're going to be used as backgrounds and you come in and you know those are very very enjoyable environments but if you really want to get down to it it's like i said i, I really i don't really want to work for anyone else mm. um yeah so okay like so you must be on like some mad scouting mission at this present time, trying to assemble your team because no one does it alone. And if anyone says they do, they are uh, arrogant as hell, you know? So 
like so who like how have you assembled like do you have a team right now or are you still in the midst of looking for the right people yeah we have we have a really good team um most of them are you know loosely on our team in the sense that in the sense that like um we don't we don't like they're not working with us full time because they are you know they're their own sort of independent you know, freelancers or independent contractors for different studio projects or independent projects. Um, but we we certainly have a group. Whenever we have a project that's in front of us, we bring them all together. I mean, our teams, it's like, I'm lucky, you know, lucky to be able to get all these personalities to work together, all these talents uh, to sort of see one goal. Um, but our group is really, really good. There's a few uh, spots that we want to uh, fill out and get more experience in. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we got a team that like we're super excited about. And that's why uh, hopefully towards the end of this year, when we do this sci-fi, uh, sorry, this uh, thriller, um, we're hoping that um, we we finally get to put the entire group on, on one film and uh, really do some really cool stuff. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Like one of the things I like I'm intrigued by is Vegas, not L.A., why is that? Yeah. Uh, so LA is expensive as hell. Um, <laughs> um, so um, so that's that part. Um, but I actually have quite a number of, of, of clients here in uh, uh, Vegas that um, I pr- produce content for. So uh, whether it's TV content or broadcast content, um, or even promo content. Um, so we produce content for the Las Vegas Raiders, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the World Series of Poker. Uh, those are just the, like the three top top dogs. Uh, the oh, I forget the WNBA Aces. Um, so those are all sports broadcasts um, that we uh, create content for or or, or participate in their broadcasts um, as well. So um, obviously, uh, and then LA is like a forty five minute flight in a 48 45 minutes and 48 dollars away so a lot of times i leave home uh from vegas for leave my house in vegas and i get to set at the same time as somebody coming from some of the outer cities uh, in la because you know la traffic ain't no joke (laughs) um so um but i also have sort of a spot in studio city um where I kind of pay for a room with some roommates whenever whenever I'm in town. Mm. Um, but yeah, for most of the studios, I'm more like a day player. Um, uh, I kind of come in and uh, replace people. Um, I don't really, you know, work sort of full-time with the studios. I come okay. in sort of on a replacement role. Uh, of course, I'm placed in LA, um, pretending like like I'm based there. But, but, you know, they don't care. They say, as long as you can report, we, we're not providing hotel room on this production. Um, if you can report as a local, then... We'd love yeah. to have you. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, most of, because again, most of what I try to give the most of my uh, regards and focus to is sort of the independent stuff, the stuff that is where I can create it from wherever in the world where the narrative of the story is, is at. Yeah, because like, this is the thing. You, like, how can I put it? You have taken a harder a harder path than I think you needed to, because like with regards to what you said when you're working for the like well for the police force, 
and then basically working like having offers for like yeah say some permanent work and i imagine like when you were with hbo uh doing like the walking dead being local and all that you could have been like yes this is you could still be working for them up until this day i imagine but you've taken the harder path where it's like okay yeah don't want to get comfortable don't like want to learn and grow as much as possible which isn't easy but I would say is much more rewarding. Would you agree? Yeah. So a hundred percent. That's just it. Like uh, when with the uh, you know, HBO Productions, Game of Thrones, uh, the 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 production company was Big Head, Little Head, um, and Big Head, Little Head. They, I mean, they just turn over projects. You know, they. I mean, from once once one thing is done, it's on to the next, and mm. once that's done, it's on to the next. And if you are a cinematographer or if you're a first AC or your second AC, you're going to be doing that job for this production one day for, for, for three months. And then when it finishes, you know, you got your time, maybe a week or so, you jump on a plane and you go to another place and you do the same thing, whether it's in the studio or on location. And if you do any of that for too long, it's monotonous. It, it, just, it, it just simply is monotonous. I mean, if you are a director, you're not doing that. Like the directors are different, right? The directors, they get kind of brought in per project. And so, yeah, I mean, any of that stuff gets monotonous. But um, when you are doing an independent project, you can be working on Monday Night Football one night mm-hmm. or Mulan the next, the next week. Um, you can be uh it's just the gambit runs reality tv to the olympics like last week i was shooting the olympics um uh i'm sorry the olympics tryouts um and then this week uh we the, the just, just just the week before that we were shooting um out in the ozarks um on on a, a drama so uh it really it, it's more entertaining and more rewarding like you said um but it's certainly you know, you look around and you say, okay, you know, you gotta, you gotta be okay with how hard you work being how much you get paid. Um, you gotta be okay with that. You gotta believe in you like that. Because when COVID happened, everyone who was sort of reliant on, not everyone, but a lot of people who were reliant on the stability, realized their stability ain't that stable, uh, unless you control the ship yourself. Because mm. when COVID happened, I mean, I hate to say it like it, but we sped up because the big studios got shut down and nobody was checking for the little guys. Um, so, so, so there was a lot of projects that we picked up um, that we would never, never had access to. Um, we never, we never slowed down. Mm, I hear you. I hear you. Now, <laughs> I have to ask this question. I, I really do because like, yeah, I, I would regret not doing it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Back in the day when, like, Walking Dead, I don't really care about. But, yeah, when you were working on Game of Thrones, did you ever sort of, like, get sort of, like, recording, like, spoiler moments where you're like, oh, my God, that happened? <laughs> or was it just a case of, like, yeah, just, like, some dope, like, yeah, no, nothing oh, yeah. of consequence happened where you, where you were filming? Are are you asking like during production where were there sort of any moments where we like, sort of saw what was what, what was gonna happen? Was like, oh my yeah. god, this is yeah, yeah. I mean, all the time. Like it, it took it took a while for us to get used to. Well, okay, so at first, 
we didn't really know what we were shooting because you gotta remember like this was the first of the dragon world stuff right yeah. now everybody wants to have like witches and ward you know all this stuff. i mean the only thing that people had as a reference point before the end was like harry potter and like um harry harry potter and and what was the other thing um lord of the rings lord right yeah yeah so and then this was like what this is supposed to be for like adults this is like what there's like witches and like giants and what um and so we were shooting a lot of things that had like a lot of green all around it yeah and no one could really understand what was going on we <laughs> shot it we understood you know dialogue is dialogue once you start shooting dialogue i was primarily based at winterfell so um so uh uh belfast uh sorry uh, yeah, in belfast uh paint hall studios uh was was winterfell so we primarily shot out there um and so I had a lot of understanding of sort of what was going on in, in that in that sense, uh, the beheading of the guy who runs away and sees from the army. I mean, sorry, from his his post in like season season one, episode one. Yeah. We're like, we're like, OK, that's that's pretty extreme. You know, make the kid watch. OK, um, you know, but, you know, we didn't have any idea. Now, the first season comes out, you know, no one who who was on location in Belfast had any idea what they were shooting in New Zealand, had any idea what they were shooting in Morocco. We, we didn't know. So when we were at the premiere watching it, when we kind of was like, man, that was really good. <laughs> and that was, that was really good. And then like, um, there was like a week uh, long when it came out at uh, the festival, uh, uh, Sundance. Mm. Um, and we were able to watch all of the episodes. We only saw episode one at the premiere. Um, and then we we saw all the episodes and we were like, hey, this is going to be really good. Um, then the reviews came out and people were like, yeah, it's going to be really good. But then like no one really watched it. And luckily there's like nerds in the world who was like, well, we're going to watch this. Um, and then the nerds kind of recruited everyone else because they were like, dude, this show's real. Like you have like they literally the stories about people getting their friends, sitting them down and saying, hey, you got to watch the show. I'll rewatch it with you. That was when we started being like, oh, this is really good. Are we going to be on for the second season? What's going on here? Are we going to get to come back? Second season, a lot of us got to come back. And, and that's when we really started, like, communicating with everybody. Like, hey, so, so what is, what is, what's happening over there? Like, because over here, this is what happened. What's <laughs> happening over there? You know, we're trying to kind of trying to figure out what's going on between all the different sets. Because um, you don't get a full script. You don't get, you, you don't know what's going on in all these different places. Uh, even within us, even within one set, there are, there's two film crews. So, uh, so there would be unit A and unit B. Unit B was not B-roll. Unit B was shooting a scene while unit A is shooting a scene. You didn't get the script that unit B had. Unit B didn't get the script that you had. So you would see things happening and you'd be like, what? Well, <laughs> well what led to this? You know? um and then finally it would come out and you'd be like because when you do the premiere you get to watch like first season the first episode right it come out by the time season three came out we we knew that the budget had skyrocketed that they were going to have their pick of the litter um and that a lot of people weren't going to be able to come back you know so i made it through season three the the first year of riches um where, where it was like nine million dollars an episode um but then again you know at, at a certain point it was 
the name game even at like all at all the levels like they had the best pas yeah. in the world they had the best acs they had the best you know because this was the number one show in the world mm. um and it held that title for like five years so at a certain point it, it was you know we you know they ended up rotating us out you know i'm climbing the ladder i just i was glad to be there for three seasons I, I, it was pretty I, cool you were there for three seasons yeah like, were you there for the like you were in winterfeld right Yes. So, were you, uh, did you record any of the Red Wedding? No, no. Uh, so, the Red Wedding took place in um, I forget the guy's uh, castle, but it was it wasn't the Winterfell uh, house. It was it was it was in Winterfell, but not at the winter, not yeah. at the uh, not at the, uh, the castle, Winterfell uh. castle. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, no Red Wedding. Um, and again, the red wedding was another one of those things. Was like, yeah, I mean, so what are we gonna do now? Like, you know, and again, again, you know, I mean, Ned start getting his head cut off. You know, what's this like? Yeah, like how the main character they just <laughs> hold on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you know, they, that's how we begin to kind of grasp that, like, we were dealing with something that was going to be different mm. from. From like they didn't care, they kill anybody, they didn't care. It it only it only got to when when it was like season four and there was just so much money on the table and there were certain characters that you just couldn't kill um for money purposes. But like season one, two, and three, I mean everybody head was on a on, on everybody head was on the table. It was it was it was possible. Yeah, no, that's crazy. No, because yeah. like this is the thing, like if First season of Game of Thrones. I watched the first three episodes. I was like, no, nah, no, nah. I've got, I've got to just wait, watch them all back to back, and like I could, you could get away with that in the first season. Second season, eh, it was kind of like you could just about get away with it. Third season, no, and that Red Wedding episode, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, I love you, yeah. oh, you are this, like I was like, and I was like, oh. I have new life growing in. I was like, oh my, I saw what happened to her. I was like, oh my Lord, what the hell? I was just like, no. Yeah, HBO. Uh, and that's that's what I love so much about this, in, this industry. So HBO and AMC, right? Mm. Less than, less than 15 years ago, HBO wasn't really, they didn't call it HBO. They call it home box office. Right. Yeah. Um, and AMC was American movie classics. Right. Mm. These are both shows, both channels that television channels that would, their business model was to take these old movies that had aired in the theater and play them on television at a certain time. Right. So we'd say we take bad boys Two whether it's American movie classics or home box office. And we said we'd advertise for a week and we'd say, you're going to be able to watch bad boys Two at 12 o'clock on Thursday night. And we, you can count on an audience tuning in because, because they have this channel, they're going to tune in and watch a movie that they wouldn't otherwise get to watch. Right. Uh, without paying blockbusters or something like that. Hmm. Then Netflix comes along and Netflix says, well, actually they'll be able to watch whatever they want to watch. You know, as long as we can license it, They'll be able to watch, watch all these movies all the time, as many times as they like, 
Um, but um, but you know they don't they and they don't have to wait. They don't have to set their DDR. They don't have to program and they can play when they want to. And these companies started to see like a massive plunge in their uh, subscription mm. and in their uh, in their business model. It was a big big problem. So they they said, well, we how do we fix this? That's when they started creating their own content. I mean, they already had, you know, a Soprano, and uh, they were developing the the Wire, yep. and they were developing uh, what was the one inside the jail? Where they're inside the jail? Uh, oh, Oz. Uh, yeah, Oz, and uh, all these shows that they said, look. Um, you know, the history of Netflix, when Netflix came about immediately, the business model was like, content is king. These guys are procuring content and making it available at all times. So we have to create content that they cannot license Mm. because we're not going to sell it to them. Right. We're not going to give it to you. You're only going to be able to watch it on our platform. And that, that is really the evolution I love the way that the film industry will change no matter what happens. Just like even now, right? You're seeing movies like Space Jam and what was the other movie that just came out? Um, so Space Jam just came out and uh, there was another movie that just came out where A Black people Widow. Are, yeah, Black Widow and these movies where people are starting to look. Hang on one second. I feel a sneeze coming on it's not happening um but all these all these um films are coming out and people are starting to look at them and say well this does not look like what i expect it to look like this is not maybe this felt a little bit corny or that was a lot more of this or something going on here well studios have abandoned the 200 million dollar budget strategy because everyone is watching everything on streaming. The theater's gone, right? You make a movie, you put it in a theater, a theater, you, you, you can sell the money, you can sell the movie to a theater for a lot of money because you pay for a ticket, you pay for $3 popcorn, you pay for a $2 Coke, you pay for a $3 hot dog, you pay for some candy, you sit there and you watch the movie one time. And if you like it, you want to you come back again, but most likely you didn't watch it one time. You brought a wife and the kids and somebody else with you. So, you know, I could sell my movie to the theaters, to a chain of theaters for a ridiculous amount of money. Whereas when I sell it to a streaming platform, there's no popcorn, there's no ticket, there's no uh, candy, there's no uh, 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 price per person. I mean, you can have 20 people sitting in your living room watching it with you. Yeah. Um, you know, you can watch as many times as you want to, and you can pop your own popcorn, make your own cake, whatever you want to do. Um, the only thing that you got to do is pay the subscription that you're paying for all the other things. So the film industries are starting to create films with a smaller budget, with a more specific audience. Mm. So Space Jam, where previously would have been made to encapsulate a larger audience, just like the old Space Jam, right? Space Jam, our parents watched Space Jam, but we also watched Space Jam when we were kids, right? We loved it. We thought it was awesome. Our parents thought it was awesome. Older kids maybe thought it was awesome too. Mm. Whatever. This Space Jam, if you ain't a kid, <laughs> you looking like, what the hell is this? Oh. You know, because the audience is very targeted now. 
because they're they're not advertising to this massive audience because in order to do that you have to have a much bigger budget mm. so the budgets are smaller because they understand that they're going to be streaming everything's going to be on streaming this is this is the progression would you say with regards to now the rise of streaming and basically it being in full effect in like well in the realms of Netflix, Amazon, Disney Plus, um, HBO Max, and uh, the like the last and foremost Peacock, which huh? I think is a bit of a joke. Uh, right. <laughs> um, NBC. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you think it's bring like there's an influx of content, but has it brought down the quality? Would you say? And I, I, I would not say the quality is down. I say the specific, the specificity of it is is more is more specific. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like Space Jam. <laughs> I don't like it. Right. I thought it was corny, but the reminder is that it's no longer for it's no longer for fans of basketball and and Looney Tunes. Anyone eight, anyone seven through twenty five. You know, it's for fans of LeBron James, age five through 10. You know, it's more specific, whereas we would expect it to be for a broader group. We expect it to be able to like Space Jam because that was something that like previously they would have said, hey, this was the group that watched this when they were kids. So obviously they're going to be interested in seeing it now, even though they're adults. So let's make it so that they can watch it, too, to get their money. They're not doing that anymore. So there are projects that are being made that are specific to their audience so that when someone outside of the audience watches it, it's not, it's in no way working for us. Yeah. Um, My issue with Space Jam was it was too much of a, well, it was a, it felt like a glorified commercial for HBO Max. Uh, that's all it felt like. It was basically, it was like, okay, let's get all our Disney properties in. Let's get every single property we own in this, but in like a rather corny way. Like, because they did the same thing with Ready Player One, but it made mm-hmm. actual more sense. It was like kind of a homage. It was like honoring those sort of properties which came through. And there was a, some kind of, it was love and feeling for, those properties this was just like hey welcome it's space jam okay you know hey we own the looney tunes but we also own dc oh wait we own rick and morty as well hey look at all the things we own and you can find that all on the serververse and that means hbo max yeah so it just was like no yeah yeah no i felt i felt i felt the same way i felt like there were these moments that was like, man, did this get focus grouped or not? You know, mm-hmm. like, did, did they focus group this or no? Um, and I think that may, maybe they maybe they did focus group it. But like whoever they focus grouped it for um, checked off on it. You know, yeah. like we, we you and I are not in the target audience. You know, it's not it's not for us. Um <laughs> And the acting alone. Um, uh, so. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah, that the acting. Yeah. We we, we smile yeah. at that. The acting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's leave that where that's it. Yeah. Now I have to like 
couple more questions. And like this is the thing. Would you see like you want to start a production company with regards to maybe bigger and grander things, making your own feature films, making your own series and stuff like this? Would would say the streaming platforms be a place you would sort of caught uh, to get their attention, or would it be like some other medium? Would you say go with YouTube to get out or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a conversation that we're all having at every single level all the time because um, it, and I think it depends on what your product is. So if your product is a project that it's a great film, it doesn't have these major stars in it um, that's going to make people purchase um you know, you kind of need to go ahead and get your money up front from the streaming platforms so that people can see the film. You do like a one or two year licensing, you get it back, and then you can sort of sell it based on its reputation, right? Mm. Um, but if you have a product that has, you know, the popular crowd i mean it doesn't have a doesn't even have to be great acting i mean this is this is the truth right it doesn't have to have great acting in order for it to sell it has to have great acting for it to be a great film mm. but it doesn't have to have great acting for it to sell you got kim kardashian in your film right she's willing to sell it she's willing to promote it um you know why why would you go to netflix or 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 hbo or anybody for that matter i mean unless they offer you a king's ransom and Netflix will offer you a King's Ransom because they have an algorithm that can tell them, hey, this film is worth, you're yeah. going to make the money back, you know? Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you shouldn't take anything less than what you think you deserve if you got those personalities already built into your film because you could simply go to a Vimeo or a, 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 a what is it? A, a TVOD, a TVOD, any sort of TVOD. So YouTube, uh, Vimeo, uh, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Google Play, which is YouTube, um, any of these sort of platforms and charge people per transaction because you don't need to run commercials. You don't need to have it on the YouTube. You just need Kim Kardashian to put it on her page. Mm. Boom, 24 million people. You get 1% of that, I bet you you made your budget back already. Um you you know uh you're probably gonna get more like three percent of it if she's really pushing it and she's got revenue share she's gonna push it harder yeah um you know uh so if it just really depends on what your what your goal is again you're a new filmmaker mm. you want people to know that you've got it you want the studios to hire you you got a great product you you get if you if if Netflix or Hulu so happen to know about your film listen. If that's your goal, you're not there for the money right now. You're there so you can get to the other bigger projects. Give mm. give it to them. These are recruiting YouTube, Vimeo, film festivals. These are recruiting grounds for all of those series. I mean, you look at Game of Thrones. Um, you look at any TV series. Uh, HBO's um, Euphoria. You look at any of these series, they have multiple different directors throughout the series, right? Mm. Uh, look at Hulu's um, Handmaid's Tale. There's multiple different directors. They bring in the directors specific to the genre, the nature of 
the episode. I mean, there are re reoccurring directors, but uh, for the most part, the director's changing on on an episode basis because they're shooting so many episodes at the same time. Um, so, you know, they might see your film and say, uh, wow, you made this Black Mirror production. Okay, we're going to bring you in for one or two episodes of Westworld because, mm -hmm. because you made this miniseries and we think you'd be great for this episode. We really don't know how this is going to play out on camera, but we like sort of how this looks. So if we can sort of like take this script and make something similar to that, you can do episode two and episode seven because that's where this transition that's similar to what you did happened. Um, and so those sort of, those are recruiting grounds. Their companies are paying them to go there. Their companies are paying them to extract data from YouTube and Vimeo and all the other TVODs and Amazon Prime. They're extracting this data and they're saying, here are the people we need to hire. Here are the films we need to license. Um, so it, it really just depends on what your business model is for your film and for your career. Mm. Oh, interesting. Like, yeah, I think it's interesting. It's a brand new, strange world out there with regards to the sort of realms of entertainment, uh, where it's more sort of like, yes, how much time we can capture for people to return to whichever platform that might be. But mm -hmm. Like, but moving away from that, I have to ask now, like, I often ask certain questions which, like, challenge someone, like, mentally, like, psychologically, uh, and, like, yeah, with yourself being a creative chap, I think you might be up for this challenge. Hmm. Now, Let's do it. okay. Now, now. If there was one film you could direct, what would that one film be? Like, from the past, like classic, what would that one film be? Are we remaking the film or are we, are, are we just inserting me as the former director? Well, like basically could be remaking it, but yeah, where you have a directorial influence of, over it. Hmm. Wow, that's good. Um, I love, there's a lot of films. Um, ooh, so, cause all the films that I, all the films that I'm thinking of, I love them so much as they are, but so something that I could jump in and influence yeah. a change in, I, I'm still so very passionate about this one project, um, that I want to make in the future, the 950 BC project, that I'm going to tie it into that. I would go back to, so there's this series of like films called The Bible. Um, um, and it's like, you probably only watched them if like you were like on punishment or something. And your mom was like, here, sit down and watch this. It's like, um, this is why yeah. you should repent, repent. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and it's like a really cool collection of, of stories and i'm not like religious i i but i believe people I, I don't believe i'm right or wrong i don't i don't know yeah um, but um these stories are really cool because um they kind of take you through the history of abraham isaac and jacob all the way yeah. up to like uh joseph to the coming of christ blah 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 you know there's just it's called the bible it's like these long monotonous boring stories about the bible and if I were able to go into to take those films and make those films, I love the stories from the Bible. They are some of the most amazing and like 
amazing, unbelievable miracle stories. You know, it's up to you whether you believe them or not, but they make great stories. Um, I think you could be a skeptic. Yeah, yeah, I'm skeptic. Um, 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 but um, yeah, exactly. This stuff is amazing, right? Uh, it's incredible in the in you know, but it's a great story, right? And it's about love, and it's about belief, and it's about inspiration. Mm. And you can take away something so positive from all this stuff, and you can you can and and you can really could really make you a better person if you just take it for the love and the belief and the happiness of it. But what I would do was I would um make them more historically accurate um there would be more black people uh for one um there would be uh more uh there are ways that you can tell stories about floods and bushes catching on fire and mm. serpent serpents turning in from sticks and thread turning into fish um there are ways you can tell those stories and make them believable like you know, there was there was there was Batman before the Christian Bale Batman, mm. where it just didn't make sense. Batman made no sense. His underwear was on the outside of his pants. He's a little rich white dude that just could kick all of the dudes butt in the streets. It didn't make any sense. But then they said, well, what if what if Batman was like a rich dude who like just ran away? And he, he got he met these monks in the mountain and he trained and then he had to meet his fear. That's why he did the battle. That makes sense. Take away the underwear. We can't explain that. Take it away. Um, <laughs> you know, and they make it make sense. Right. That's what I would do for some of these Bible stories. I think they're some of the best stories in the world, um, but people don't want to touch them because they're afraid. Yeah, well, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> in this day and age, well, in the realm mm -hmm. of yes, you can get cancelled it like for like just like passing gas at the wrong time. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's like you know, what I mean? but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can cancel culture. So for me, so I have a controversial point point of view on cancel culture. So I like, I don't really believe that there is a cancel culture. Not. Put it this way, with regards to the realms of cancel culture, like if if this was four years ago, I would say yes. Like cancel culture, if you if you're on that list, yeah, you'll be destroyed until you're nothing more than dust and atoms. <laughs> no, it, it's the way it is. It was no. now. It's a case of like I was watching. I was watching the Impulse podcast. I mm -hmm. had. Um, Logan Paul, was it Logan Paul? Mm -hmm, yep. Yep. And KSI on the podcast, right? And KSI went, yeah. He goes, yeah, like um, uh, uh, David Dobrik. I don't know if you know him as it. Like, mm. like they, he's had some controversy lately with him and his like team, like his whole production team. And he got and like KSI was like, no, it like this, like there are some people which are uncounselable. You can't cancel them because it's a case of if you get a certain like a certain amount of resources, but people backing you, mm. you go away for a while, but you come back. And with the way the sort of bar has been moved since like three, four years ago, like damn, like for like as soon as you had like, yeah, former president Donald Trump, like, oh yeah, grab him by the pussy. Uh, mm -hmm. while he was like going for president mm -hmm. and that 
didn't phase him at all. There mm-hmm. was a, there was a totally new standard which was put into play, which yeah. worked its way, which has worked its way through to now. And like, yeah, if you like, if you caught, if you caught doing something horrid to children, then mm-hmm. by all means you will get cancelled. But pretty much anything else. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I agree. So like, I, I just feel like, like when people say like, oh, cancel culture, I think that's like, those one of those hot button, hot button terms that like, uh, I live in America, so I'm gonna talk about it from an American point of view. Yeah. Um, that's one of those hot button terms that the conservatives have sort of coined and are using to try to make it seem like a thing, just like the thing vaccine passports or door to door and all this stuff. There's no such thing as a vaccine passport. There's no thing as such a thing as cancel culture. So cancel culture is not a thing. Basically cultures are being uncanceled. So there are, there's always been a standard for what people are going to allow you to do in the eye of the public. Mm. Heck in the, in the, in the 1800s, John Brown in America got hung because he was a, a landowner and a politician who thought who responded to his uh, constituents by telling them, I am not going to run these slaves off out of this territory. I would just as soon get a rifle and run you away. Mm. They said, Oh, you think we, you, you canceled, you're dead, you're hung. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Ellen DeGeneres got kicked off NBC uh, in, in the nineties for being gay. You know, uh, you know, that was the standard. Oh, you gay. Uh, you think you can put that shit on television? You're out of here. You know, uh, Mel Gibson got, he was gone for like 10 years uh, for what he said, right? There's always been a standard for what the public will accept you to say. The difference is now that some of these cultures, the LGBT community, a lot of the black empowerment cultures, um, a lot of these cultures are being uncanceled. They now have a voice. People are willing to stand up for them. They're allowed to be considered okay. so now you can't say those things about those people without meeting the same standard that you would have met have you said something about one of those cultures that were allowed to be a part of our society so now you say those things about those cultures that have been those voices have been uncanceled so mm-hmm. there's the, the, it's it's uncanceling that's happening there you know you and, and and to your point that you made great point look ben shapiro can say whatever he wants to say Candace Owens can say whatever she want to say mm. because the audience that they're saying it to is there for that. You know, they can say Candace Owens can say all, you know, madness. She want to say Ben Shapiro can say all the madness. He want to say some of the stuff. Most of the stuff is crazy. Some of the stuff I agree with. Um, and they can, they can say it to their audience and their audience is there for it. And they're going to support them and they're going to promote them. And they're going to make sure that they don't go out of business because they're a voice that gives them oxygen. Yeah. Just don't try to assume that you're being canceled because you you want to say you want to say and, and hurt people in one environment and expect those same people to help you make a living off hurting them. Like you can't go to Hollywood and make a bunch of, you know, super conservative statements because have you been to Hollywood? I mean, ever it's I mean, yeah, have you looked around? I mean, you know, it's you can't you can't expect these people to propagate your lifestyle if you're hurting theirs. Yeah. So you just got to go to a place and be in an environment where where that happens. That that place used to be called America, used to be the entirety of the place. Right. The line has moved. 
Mm. And that's mm. all. It's uncanceling. It's not canceling. Yeah. Like this is the thing. I think some of the problems with it all, and I'm not I'm not saying just America, I'm talking about like the Western world in general. Right. Like right. when when it comes to some of these conversations which need to be had, and like basically, like because you get two sides which mm-hmm. are not prepared to have these conversations and then they mm-hmm. take it to, they take it too far, take it too far. I'm talking about the loony left and the crazy right. Both like both working in like I don't know what they're working towards, but they're basically it seems like they're working to just divide and conquer. And I don't like this is the whole thing. I don't know why they would want to divide the public as a whole to get conquered by whom. I do not know what what, but that's all it's about. And when these conversations which are not happening, or if you ever try to broach these conversations, it just turns into quite much, quite much a screaming match, and no one actually gets anything resolved or fixed. Because this is the thing: the power of conversation, decent debate, like lets ideas either grow or die. And without them, you like you don't get democracy. You without them, you don't get a financial system. Without them, you don't get an education system. Like you don't get so many things and with that it's just getting harder in those things and yeah i'd say there are quite a lot of people uh, groups organizations which have now found their voices they in this sort of crazy world but it comes down to this we may have like they may have found their voices but like it's a case of if everyone's just screaming and not actually having a decent conversation are those voices going to be truly heard still along the way yeah yeah no i agree i think i think no matter who no matter what uh group or or um subculture or culture you uh, identify with Mm. um the best way to help uh people uh understand your plight um and join you and 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 and, and better live with you mm. is to communicate with them um so uh if if for example if um someone says um well uh i don't believe there's systemic racism in america you know i i believe that uh the african americans in america are um are, 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 you know, str- they struggle because of X, Y, and Z, but because of who they are or something like that, you know, yeah. if they struggle because of who they are, you, 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 you know, you, you should be able to, you know, question what they're saying, ask them where they get that from. You should be able, you should have enough head about yourself to ask them where they get this from. Um, I mean, and, and look, you don't have to, like, you don't owe them an education. You don't owe them teaching. You can walk away, but mm. somebody needs to be able to ask them where'd you get that from yeah um uh uh, what evidence do you have of this um have you considered these stats and facts Mm. um what what do you think about this opinion um you know and and sort of have an open dialogue with them even though despite what they are saying to you could be hurtful um because if you simply respond belligerent which may be their um impression of you in the first place yeah. Um, then you're just proving to them, to them, that's proof that 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 they were right. Um, now, 
after that conversation, if this person still feels the same way, I don't think it is incumbent on, say, in this scenario, the African-American to continue to uh, uh, to try to coexist with this person, because this co- this person is actively propagating uh, uh, things and they're going to vote ways. They're going to say things. They're going to believe things. They're going to do things that is going to hurt you, hurt you and your life and people that you love. So to exist with this person is simply to just slowly drink poison because they're, they're, they're poisoning you. They're, they're voting certain ways. They're, they're enacting policies and they're sp- spreading things that is going to hurt you. So, you know, you don't need to, you don't have an obligation to try to exist with this person. Get away from them, separate, be away from these people because they are hurting you. And they think that it's okay to hurt you because that's just who you are and that's how you are. And we probably just need to deal with it. Like we need to just deal with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And like, this is the thing. If they live in a remote community, like in the back end of like nowhere, yeah, you can like do what you said. You don't have to associate, you don't have to mix with them. But if it's a case of they're in the same city as you and stuff like this, you've got like there has to be some type of fostering of community. Um, like I don't mean just as in one sort of specific demographic or group, uh, but across the whole city in some way. Um, I don't know how like I don't know how easy that will be or how difficult that will be. But like, look, you like originated from like uh, Georgia. Now, let's just say Atlanta, Georgia, like, yes, it, I know it today um, from like basically news reports, like films, TV that, yeah, it is a southern, like southern city, like, pre- like predominantly black, but mm-hmm. that's how I know it from then. But mm-hmm. The whole thing is Georgia, like, yeah, 50 years ago, Georgia 60 years ago was a very much a different place. And you're, you're talking about, yeah, doing music videos, like films, stuff like this. Yeah, you might, you may have very much struggled because, yeah, authorities would have been on your back and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the whole sort right. of general vibe, but For it's sure. changed. And like the whole thing is with regards to the community going forward, like, each year, each decade, and everything like this. As I like, as I sit as a Brit abroad, looking at America and seeing like seeing it get more and more divisive. Um, like one of the films I'm going to watch most already over this weekend is The Forever Purge, and it, like it's like feels like it's becoming more and more sort of like, hey, this is where you guys going to end up in the future. Uh, What's the name of the film? Forever Purge. Like oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, basically part of the Purge series. And like, it's like you're going, okay, uh, let's not go down that path, America. Let, let's step away from like the, the madness. Do not blink while you stare into the abyss. Um, but like, this is the thing. When it comes to like having these conversations with people, there's a line from a film called Thank You uh, for Smoking, uh, starring Aaron Eckhart. Uh, mm-hmm. like he go, he's talking to his son and like, he's like, going, yeah, what? And his son goes, what if you can't change the mind of the person you're having, like you're trying to like talk to? And he goes, and like Aaron Eckhart looks at him, goes, it he goes, it's not about that person. It's about the other people around you. And that's who you've got to convince. And like, look, 
if the person is hard headed, if the person's not so set in their ways, yeah, you might have this conversation like someone who might be over, like sort of doing a sneak peek listen, might go, eh, made some good points there. Eh, you came across well. Eh. And like that's the person who then goes on from that. Because through every action, there is cause and effect. And if you are trying to affect a positive, like upbeat attitude, it might not work with that person, but therefore, like it will work with other people around you. And yeah, it might like, you, they might go back. You remember what this guy said this and this to me and like in their household and like their kids might go, sounds very reasonable to me. They didn't seem, that didn't seem out of order or wrong. I just think it's a case of it's going to take a lot of work. And I think that's the whole thing. People, like people, I think, are forgetting that communities are about building relationships. And mm-hmm. when you have a good relationship, look, we've all known what a shitty relationship has been like. Uh, but you know what I mean? Building a good relationship takes hard work, dedication. And yeah, sometimes not getting everything you want, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I like I said, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. No caveats, you know. Uh, you know, you gotta be willing to have the conversation, you know. Mm. Uh, I just, you know, I think, I, I think where we might diverge in opinion is essentially once, once you're done with that conversation, you know, you know, I think uh, there's been a lot of dialogue about. There's been a lot of dialogue about, well. Are we going to what are we going to do about the gap or the distance between between the left and the right? Right. Mm. Um, and I hate that it's like call the left and the right or conservative and the liberals, which which I think is a better uh, a word, like conservative and liberals type, type yeah. approach, which is really strange because you can be conservative and still be in agree of some of these other things. So in, in you can be liberal and still be in agree with some of these other things. Um, but um you know, the gap, what are we going to do about the gap? Um, you know, I think once you, once you try to have those conversations and someone says that, for example, from my point of view, someone says that, you know, um, they can, they want to continue to propagate, uh, things that are detra actually detrimental to my life, the life of my son and, um, the people like me and him that will come after us. Um, I I'll take a line from a different movie, you know, um, from uh, Amistad. Um, when the attorney said, you know, if there is to be a final battle of the Revolutionary War, let it begin today. Mm. Um, because I don't, I, I want my son to be able to go to school. I want to make movies. I don't want to make war. Um. But if that's what it is, here we are, you know, um, and I don't I it just it's getting crazier and crazier and crazier. People, everyone, everyone around the world is 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 trying to find a peaceful resolution. We, we, we have a window where we think we can come together. The Olympics always brings everyone together and we get all patriotic. But here we go. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it pulls us together again. Yeah, like this is the thing. Like, I'll simply say this with regards to the world. Like, okay. And you most like, there'll be many people who disagree with me saying this. Like, this 
is the like even with a global pandemic going on mm-hmm. like for today's society everything like this this is one of the best times to be around alive well like living in this world and look if you live in if you live in the uk united states canada australia like any sort of western world country germany you have got a golden lottery ticket to like go ahead and do a hell of a lot of things because look if like if we if we were in other parts of the world which were not as developed or whatnot filmmaker podcaster yeah this wouldn't be like you know what i mean this wouldn't be even an option on the menu it would be like yeah down to doing a number of other things to sort of get by in life like we wouldn't have this sort of free time to like actually just go out there and do this but well we live we live in a world and a society which you know what i mean has its advantages is it is it totally fair no is mm-hmm. like is there things what need to be worked on yes and mm-hmm. it's a case of yeah even though we do live in a and I'm, when i say this privilege like society when it comes to the rest of the world hey we've still got to do the work which is required to get it to make it even better like for your son like yeah my future kids if they have like if they ever come along or like basically my friends kids and their kids and their kids going on from there you know but yeah work needs to be done yeah the work has to be done you know has to be someone's got to do it someone's got to someone's got to someone's got to do it and it's yeah. hard it, you know a lot of time those uh, conversations are difficult mm-hmm. um the decisions they have to be made are difficult and yes. uncomfortable yes uh, this, you know uh that's why i give so much credit to sort of the summer of 2020 because there were a lot of difficult conversations happening mm-hmm. um uh you know in the height of the pandemic like you see it you know there were a lot of difficult conversations happening um, but there was also a lot of um, action taken. Um, there was a lot of policy change, but there was also a lot of fire and blood too. Um, so, so um, you know, again, you know, we all, I truly believe that like, I, I do believe that like people are ultimately good. Like that may be my flaw, that I believe that people are ultimately good. Um, but they are. Like this is yeah. they are because yeah. like you think about it right you think about all the horrors of the world like of like throughout history you've mm-hmm. like you know what i mean what when people have been really 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 horrid evil mm-hmm. to each other mm-hmm. and you right. kind of look at where we are right now yeah yeah <laughs> you know believe- I mean? yeah 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 and that's that goes into my thoughts like i believe that people are ultimately good given giving comfort, given that they have what they need, they feel they need mm. and they're okay and they can find happiness and they can find peace and they don't feel taken advantage of, people are ultimately good. Mm. Um, I think I think you start taking away those things and people are going to do what they got to do, you know? Um, and, and that's, I think that like there are those of us like me and, 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 you know, we have a little bit extra and there are people who have a lot of bit extra 
Uh, we're not in those positions that those people who are scratching and clawing and wondering how they're going to keep their belly full, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but those people are the ones where we have to keep in mind that like, you know, those, 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 the tolerance that we have for certain behaviors are costed, costing them their lives. Um, it's costing them their future is costing them their opportunities and without opportunity without the comfort that we talked about when people are ultimately good they're going to be ultimately they're going to be bad they're going to be bad they're going to be they're going to be like a lion on a prowl they're looking to lay somebody down open up their bellies um that's just what just the way it is like people got to survive people are going to do whatever they think they can do yeah no like this as long as there's hope yeah we can move forward in a positive way yeah mm. now uh, I, I took a dark turn that was a game of thrones turn i'm look 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 all i've got to say is i'm look i'm not the one who's been on the set you guys are yeah ah I, I could hear the rhythm i could hear the drums you're dum 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 it's like yeah you're there but like yes can you tell the lovely people out there how they can actually get hold of you? How can they find you on the worldwide webs, as they say? Yeah, what I typically tell people is if you can, like, tolerate me on Instagram uh, uh, for a long enough period of time, then you'll know if if you can stand me or not, right? Because um, I'm, I'm a little bit much. So, uh, <laughs> it's like... right, so... So give me on Instagram uh, at Sir underscore Gino, Sir for being a knight of the realm. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, Sir underscore Gino, um, G-I-N-O. Um, it's funny thing, that was like my IG name well before um, I even started working with uh, Game of Thrones. Um, but um uh, yeah, it's always felt like I was like a knight, even though, you know, you can't just be like a knight. Weird. Um, so, yeah, Sir underscore Gino, if you uh, like what you see there or what you are experiencing there, then uh, it's easy access to the website and everything else from there. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Gino, for coming on today. Yeah, you have been outstanding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. It was a good chat. Hey, oh, yes. Many more to come, I'm sure. But yeah, I also like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, sticking with us up to the end of this conversation. You have been outstanding. You've been fantastic. So let me just say this to you. Please stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be fantastic. Be all the positive things you can be in this world and then some. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great day. Yeah. Peace. And we are...